after Super Bowl show, couple days of reflection and contemplation, machinations. No, not really. Steve Fezzik in. I tell you, Steve, I think we got more takeaways from this Super Bowl than any I can remember, to be candid. And I think it's important stuff when it comes to how the direction of the NFL. And, and I really think that as I watched that game, it was a battle for between a future in which everything was different. Hmm. You know, the idea that, and again, when you get to be in your 40s and, you know, later 40s, there's a sense of, you know, hey, a lot of things are changing. You know, when you're even in your 30s, you can kind of keep connected with the hot TV shows. And then at a certain point, it's a couple generations away from the last time you really cared. Now, you, you never had any of that. But No, I'm just yeah, checked but, out at 35, yeah. Well, I think you were checked out at 15. <laughs> you were never checked in. They didn't let me check in, so I checked out. <laughs> they said, this is a restricted <laughs> club. But to me, it, it, it really was, if you look at Kansas City, they said the rules don't apply. Rules don't apply. We don't need to run the ball. And I'm not talking about the Super Bowl. I'm talking about generally, you know, oh, you, we're going to drop 15, 18 yards back because Mahomes has such a great arm. We're going to fall down 10 or 10 plus game after game after game and still win them. You know why? Because the rules don't apply to us. And I started wondering... And, and another way I thought that was so egregiously bad was going nine games to end the regular season into then the Browns game without a single Vegas cover. Zero. They had one push against the Bucks and regular season. And otherwise, November 1st was the last time they covered a game, the day after Halloween <laughs> And then they covered against Buffalo, and the sense was, oh, here it is. And then the stats came out, and, and rightfully so. When Mahomes is in a competitive, and we did the work, pregame.com, Mahomes in a competitive game, uh, when it's competitive, right? So the game itself was supposed to be competitive, and it's still competitive. They were great, outstanding. And I was thinking, is this the first team that can flip a switch? We've never seen really an NFL team just kind of coast a half season, right? No, never. And I remember during the Cowboy dynasty even where they were saying, oh, the Cowboys finally you know, regressed. And they're like, oh, they're going to beat Carolina easily in the playoffs, even though they had, had had a bad year. Nope, Carolina beat them. You know, McKenzie just flashed on the board. So Tampa Bay was a win – for Tampa, a loss for KC, and then the push was against the Saints. Okay. They were both real close. They were both Yeah, late. but no, Tampa was a clear win. Yeah. I mean, meaning uh, if you had Tampa, because I had Tampa. Yes. So, clear win. No, it was. But, um, yeah, the Saints is the one we debated. Yeah, good catch, McKenzie. Okay, so if you think about that losing streak, that by all accounts, it, it wasn't how bad 
I mean, they didn't win one game by more than six points during that run. They weren't that bad or they weren't that not good. It was obviously they'd get up big and, and have intermittent focus, intermittent effort. That is a great word, intermittent. It sounds like it's happening in chunks, right? Yeah, because you talk about you know turning the switch on, but oftentimes it was seemingly turn switch on and turn it off again, right? Because like the Miami the game. Same game, yeah. Yeah, the Miami game, down 10 nothing, turn the switch on, up 30 to 10, <laughs> switch goes off. It's like we're going to tr- – the analogy I gave was Usain Bolt. I yep. never could see Usain Bolt. I never saw him run hard. I think one time run hard the whole 100 yards. It's like, I'll run 90, and then I'll look back and jog through the finish line. It's like, is it really that hard to run hard through the last 10 yards? Yeah, and a parallel, right, was that Tyreek Hill on two of his touchdowns did backflips into the end zone. Not after he got in the end zone. He stopped on the one, turned around, and did the backflip in. And I mean, he's an amazing athlete, amazing player. But it was like we're gonna be the we're the defending Super Bowl champions, and we're gonna be intermittent with our effort. And you know what? It doesn't matter. We're the number one seed. I'm writing that word down. All right. Intermittent. Now I'll, I'll give you full credit. Oh no, just go for it. I didn't invent. It. <laughs> now, now here's the thing, though. Here's the thing: is that's not it. Just not covering the spread. I mean, you could make the case running the ball. That they just said, ah, we don't need to run the ball. You could make the case a lot of ways. Entering this game. Now, we're going to make the case it happened in this game, too. And it was the problem. But can you think of anything else you would say Kansas City uh, was saying the rules don't apply to us? That the old your old assumptions about what matters in football, it doesn't matter to us. Yeah, so penalties. So here's a team that was, you know, bottom 10 of the league in terms of penalties given up. And so, so in this case, they had a lot of penalties. Yes, and it didn't seem like there was any, you know, consequences to it. Eh, you know, it happens. So you'd get, they'd get called or flagged, and coaching staff wasn't getting upset with the players. No players were getting benched, certainly, for a play like that. Whereas at other teams— Relax, man. It was a very millennial feel. Yeah, you know it'll happen. You'll you'll line up six inches offside on a on a field goal. It happens, man. It's probably someone else's fault, somewhere. <laughs> and you know what? I was afraid it was gonna continue to the point that that became the new norm. Because I personally, one of the things I love about football is doing things the quote unquote right way, the historically right way is the right way in football. You get there, you know, uh, McVay, Belichick, Andy Reid, known as a real grinder, they're at the office at 530. They're making millions of dollars, but they're there when it's still dark, before dawn. And you know what? Those guys win. And guys like Spurrier that, you know, left at five, they didn't Hmm. at the NFL level. The quarterbacks, Brady, you know, I always say Aaron Rodgers isn't a grinder, but he probably works harder than 99% of the people in the country. But compared to Brady, Manning, Breeze doesn't. And I think maybe to some degree this whole mobile quarterback revolution, I keep hearing about how the mobile quarterbacks are the future, and I see it, except I never see them run for too long without getting hurt, it seems like. But I don't know. As you look at... The Super Bowls, it's like, okay, Mahomes has one, Russell Wilson has one. Eh. 
Who's the other mobile quarterbacks that won a Super Bowl? Aaron Rodgers for a while, mm. maybe. But that's... I would say he, he. I would say that he isn't a pocket passer. Well, he can be a pocket passer, but I would say he's right on the border. I agree. And I would make the case that that Rodgers has underperformed uh, when it comes to Super Bowl wins, Super Bowl appearances. You could make the case Russell Wilson's underperformed a little bit if he's as good as people think. Deshaun Watson certainly is underperformed. What I'm saying is. Brady has more Super Bowls than all of them combined. And then you add in Peyton Manning with two. And, I mean, it, it, I know that there's not going to be any pocket passers left, and eventually there's going to be mobile quarterbacks that win more Super Bowls. But I just don't, I just don't know if, if a young Tom Brady or Peyton Manning were a rookie this year, would they be any less successful as a pocket passer? I think what's happening is there, it, it feels like there's not any really good – because back in the day you ran when you – I guess you could say Steve Young, but I don't know. But back in the day you ran as a quarterback because you couldn't throw well enough. Mm-hmm. Randall Cunningham, et cetera. Nowadays it feels like that running is like some redeeming quality, and I'm saying, okay, but why – is Manning and Brady and Breeze still the three best quarterbacks of the century then? Well, right. I think you look at a guy like Carson Wentz, right, that ran all the time and a couple years after doing that, and now we're questioning whether he's even, you know, up to being up to snuff to being yeah. a starting quarterback with all the hits he's taken. So what you're but I don't think it's common consensus. It's the hits that's caused that causes problems. I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm saying, do you think that's common or uh, shared consensus? I thought it was. Yeah, Mackenzie, what do you think? I don't think anyone's had a good explanation why Wentz fell off more than any quarterback we've seen. You know, that's one explanation. I haven't heard one that I believe necessarily. Yeah. So let's add in the mobile quarterback revolution to the future and. And to me, one of the things I said before the game was that Tampa Bay would have been clearly the best team in 2005. If these two teams played in a time machine, but football was being played like 2005, Tampa Bay is much, much better. What we didn't know was, was Tampa Bay better in 2021? Well, they clearly were, at least today or at least on Sunday. I so, thought your breakdown was excellent also where you went through and said, you know what, Kansas City has all the flash, and we hear about the Cheetah and Kelsey. But in terms of receivers across the board, this is really a wash, and Tampa has the better running backs, and Tampa clearly now has the better off- offensive line as well. And the better defense. Well, clearly, yes. All right, so let's talk about what we felt like was figured out that the problems that we saw from Kansas City, this new way to play football, flip the switch, et cetera, how did they show themselves in the Super Bowl? So number one, it seems like we can talk about the lack of discipline or even I think the way to say, well, let's start with discipline with the penalties. Yeah, so Kansas City, uh, their over-under in penalties was five and a half. They doubled it. They had 11 penalties. And frankly, there's some stupid penalties. They they were lined up off sides. Uh, you know, on on fourth and five when they're yeah. 
Yeah. And, you know, you just see it in terms of, you know, jar and jabbing with Tom Brady, um, you know, getting into it. Just um, it's almost like they're trying to get penalties called on them or trying to push the envelope in, in the biggest what game of the year. You think they're trying? To Not get... trying to, but it's almost like the rules don't apply. It's like, hey, if someone's if someone hits me, I'm going to hit them back. I don't care. It's the Super Bowl. When the discipline team, the guy just puts his hands up and backs off. So I, I think a lack of discipline for sure. Now, patience. Because the reality is Kansas City was very effective running the ball. In fact, their yards per attempt? 6.3. NFL average 4.2, so 50% better than the NFL average for the game. And as much as we talk about how great passing is, if you're getting 6-3 running, like what was Baltimore, what was their, Mackenzie, look at Baltimore's yards per attempt this year. It was probably, I'm guessing that Baltimore was a little bit below this. So I think 4-8, but yeah. We'll oh, I thought they were above 5. We'll see. Yeah. Close, uh, I'm sure. Five point six. Uh, Whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, but oh, because what? of Jackson. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Oh well, yeah. Right. <laughs> we said what? What to? Yeah. <laughs> Look at you, Chad. No, you just had that way wrong. Maybe let's. I had it that. way wrong. All right. So if you're running better by almost a yard than the best team in the NFL running, you're probably doing pretty well. But somehow they didn't run very much. Why? I do not know because they I can understand they didn't have the patience. They didn't have the patience in the, the in the second quarter. This game was basically pick up most of the second quarter, all right? So it's easy to say, "Hey, we got behind, so we had to abandon the running game." But uh when you're 50-50 to win the game, what are you doing and why are you abandoning the running game then? Also, there was the end of the second quarter in which there was the timeout called and then another timeout. Why don't you break that down and, and assess how much you agree or disagree with the, the calls? Yeah, so there's a little less than a minute left. Tampa Bay has the ball on their own 32, first down. They get stuffed on a running play. And Kansas City, they're trailing 6-14, to 14, or 14-6 to 6, as most would say. Hey, well, you do your thing. <laughs> so they call a timeout. You know what? The analytics people... I think it's real close, but it's better. Hey, Tampa Bay's not trying to score. Just let them run out the clock. They're already on the 32. But it's really too close to call them. Fine. It's an aggressive play to call timeout. But then Tampa Bay picks up a good chunk of, of chunk of yardage, and they're third and two on their own 38 now. At this point, Tampa Bay is clearly, if you had to bet rest of the half, pick them. Who do you want to bet, Tampa Bay or Kansas City? Well, it's likely it's going to be a push. No one's going to score. But if I have to make a bet here, I'm betting on Tampa Bay. I think Tampa minus 160 is a good line at this point. Because think about it, They're going to make that first down, Tampa will, about 50% of the time. Now, Tampa isn't even trying to go up to the line of scrimmage. They're content still to run out the clock. There's no sense of urgency. Tampa only has one timeout left. We can go into halftime before Kansas City, essentially. But Kansas City calls a timeout. Now, here's the problem with that. Tampa Bay is not just going to go, oh, you know, we're going to try to be cautious and run the ball again and, you know, and make T- Kansas City use their last timeout. Tampa's like, no, we're, we're on almost our own 40. If we pick up this first down, we're going to be like on average on about our own 45. If we don't pick it up, we'll punt. And now Kansas City will start around their own 25. That's a 20-yard difference between the two teams. So clearly Tampa Bay has the better of it if they can pick up this first down 
half the time. I think I'm being conservative saying they pick up a third and two half the time. Yet Kansas City, that, who cares about the analytics? Who cares about all of this? We're just going to be aggressive and call timeout again. And I think it's, especially with Tom Brady at quarterback, I just cannot. Especially considering that Green Bay did something similar the week before and got burned. Exactly. So if you're Kansas City, if you're Kansas City, you're like, oh, wow. You know, this Tampa team is evil because they may not just try to pick up the first down. They might go deep if I've got the wrong coverage out there. And I might give up a touchdown here on this drive. Let me just go into halftime. But that's not what Kansas City did. And why? I think you could make the case. The rules. Hey, I know that for other teams, they should do that. We, we should do whatever we want. It worked for a while. And who knows which one of these things affected the, the, the game the most. But I know it felt like it was a referendum on a lot of those. Now, you could say, you know, RJ, if the O-line was healthy, they would none of this would have mattered. Maybe, you know, I don't know if uh, Fisher is worth, um, you know, 22 points. (laughs) But, I mean, there is a domino effect, no doubt. And I think there's one more piece of the puzzle here, which was no adjustments against Tampa Bay's very effective defensive approach. So I'm not an X's and O's expert, but, you know, the basics. So they were playing too, too high safety. And it was like pretty much saying, we're giving you everything in front of us, but the cheetah's not running wild behind us. And they kept, you know, Kansas City kept acting like it was no, you know, not any problem. They were going to keep throwing deep. So they got a bad O-line, you know, injured, banged up O-line. They could have went tight in multiple tight ends. They could have went more conservative. No, we're going to play exactly the same. Uh, And then... For, for Kansas City not to make adjustments. A guy, you know, Mike Lombardi, who, friend of the show, and I'm a big fan of, he never, he's not one to, like, bash for no reason, especially coaches. He'll, he, he's a little hard on the front offices, but coaches, he's not one to bash. And he said this was the most disappointing, maybe uh, he also, I think, used the word, as I recall, worst, this was the worst coaching performance he's ever seen from Andy Reid. Because, one, you should have been able to get, I mean, we were talking about on this pod on Straight Out of Vegas, is that they're going to make sure that Tyreek Hill doesn't run wild. So what happens? Well, it's going to be some variation of having a guy bump and run or pressing and then someone else behind, which means that there's one less person to tackle on screens and, then it, it's from my layman's eyes, it didn't seem like any major adjustments as Tampa Bay proved how good they their plan was. That's t- time for Kansas City to make the turn. And they didn't make the turn. And maybe that was ego. Maybe it had to do with Andy Reid and his son. And that's what I think we don't we don't know, and I don't think we have to know. But it does seem to me that the lack of urgency to change was like, yeah, we've been here before. I think there is an element of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Tampa Bay didn't blitz in this game. They blitzed only 10% of the time. They rushed four, and they got to Mahomes consistently. And what was you know amazing to me as a guy that bet Tampa Bay's defense to get over one and a half sacks, I'm literally screaming at my TV, RJ, because Mahomes is under fire the entire game. I can make the case 
Mahomes was incredible to avoid sacks throughout the first three quarters. He only got sacked once the first three quarters, despite being under constant duress during the game. And it was just a matter of time, in my it's opinion. not intermittent duress. Constant. It was constant. It was constant duress. All right. Yes. It looks like it was intermittent by him only being sacked once, but it was constant. And maybe if he'd gotten his bell rung three times in the first half and gotten sacked like it really felt like he should have, he just escaped some just by microseconds, maybe Kansas City would have adjusted. But because they only got sacked once, they never did. Well... I don't think anyone could have been watching that game thinking this is we got him right where we yeah. want him. Right? Sack or no. I mean, I don't think they're counting sacks. I mean, Mahomes was getting beat up. Yeah, yeah, and, and those last two hits in the fourth quarter on him, my goodness. I mean, that was like three guys hitting them all at once, culmination of that constant pressure. So Mahomes was pressured twenty-nine times most in Super Bowl history. Brady pressured four times. Biggest disparity of any NFL game ever, actually, is my understanding on that. Now, listen, you are a Mahomes fanboy. I don't understand it. Um, I think Mahomes, I am a skeptic. Now, let me be clear. I think Mahomes is clearly one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. He may very well be the best. But the idea that he's head and shoulders above other quarter, the best quarterbacks, I don't see it. And... I also think we might have seen a little preview of the future of Mahomes. As he's on a rookie deal right now, right? Effectively, which means Kansas City can pay, you know, a lot of money for a lot of that talent they've got. And when his contract goes up to 40 million and it's not that far from now and beyond, it, you know, though it's a team friendly the way they did it, they plotted it out. You think that they're not going to be able to have Watkins or, you know, these other things or a lot of other expensive pieces. Yeah, the Frank Clarks and, yeah. and the like. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they might be able to have one. Who knows? And then you also think about who knows if Tyreek Hill is going to get re – and if they do re-sign him, he'll have the richest wide receiver contract ever. I don't know how many years he's got left. Can you check that, McKenzie? And yep. – I think look up under the cheetah, maybe. I don't know. But so Mahomes' uh, cap hit in 2020 was $6 million. Now think about this, $6 million for the, some say, the best quarterback in the NFL. 2021 cap hit's going to be $24 million. 2022, $31 million. 2023, $42 million. So let's say next year it's a little – I mean, Brady's making twenty five. so – but – it's probably a $10 million bargain, if not a little bit more, 12. The year after that, within three or four, you know, five, what's he worth now? 35, 36 in today's dollars, 37. So if he's 31, he's a little, and then come 23, it's like he's, he's expensive. That's it. So they thin out the supporting cast. And you know what? Every hit you take, you're a little bit less inclined to take a hit vis-a-vis -vis Russell Wilson this week, but also you're a little slower, just a smidge. We see with Big Ben when you slow down. You know, and, and Big Ben is obvious, but I love that you brought up Russell Wilson because, I mean, I, you're, I'm not an NFL scout. You know, I'm not measuring how many miles per what? hour what? he's you're running, not? but I am willing to make a very strong bet that Russell Wilson, if he used to run a 
five. Now he runs a four six. He is not outrunning linebackers that he could outrun even three years ago. And it, it, it's a vicious cycle. You slow down a little bit, you get hit more. You get hit more, you slow down a little bit. And it strikes me that maybe Mahomes is the best at something. I, he may be the best, and we talked about this before the show, he may be the best bad team quarterback. Meaning that if you say we got a bad team, but we want one guy that's going to raise the level of this team the best, I I think he probably is that because of his his physical abilities, making throws perpendicular or uh, parallel to the ground. But that's not how you win Super Bowls necessarily. Maybe occasionally, but for the most part, it's Tom Brady, it's Drew Brees, it's Peyton Manning that wins Super Bowls. Consistency, and even a guy like Aaron Rodgers. That ne- sometimes you have too much talent to even have to think, again, the rules don't apply. And to some degree, Aaron Rodgers' drop-off before this year was attributed by Greg Cosell. He never learned the the, the last decimal point of fundamentals because he didn't have to. The rules didn't apply to him. And I just – what I'm saying is Mahomes went 10th in the draft. If he is so clearly – the best physical specimen we've ever seen. How could he go 10th in the draft and not first? Baker Mayfield went first. I mean, not the same year, but you know what I'm saying is the idea that a Baker Mayfield goes first, a Sam Darnold goes third, I think it was, and this guy goes 10th? What I mean is there there was cause of concern at the time. Now, in the interim, he's had, or since he's been drafted, if you say, let's say the key to a quarterback is his two playmakers and his coach, his offensive coach, whoever is calling plays or whatever, Andy Reid, the Cheetah, and Kelsey, what, what, what team has a better three to help the quarterback than that? I mean. Oh, it's impossible. They're, he's got, they're all top three, right? I mean, easily. Yeah, yeah, I think Hill is the best wide receiver. And if you're looking to catch passes, Kelsey's the best pass catcher. And Andy Reid's probably the, you know, I'd say Sean Payton and him are one and two yeah. on calm plays. So he's been in a great situation. He's been young and healthy. And they've been a team that has had him on a $6 million type contract that could have Frank Clark, et cetera. And they've got one Super Bowl in which they literally – we're one play away from not winning. And then they'd be on their way to be the Buffalo Bills. So I, I'm i not saying he's not one of the two or three best quarterbacks. I'm saying he's not clear. The idea that you believe, this is a quote, all right? We can go back in time with this. Or do you want to just give the quote about how good you think Patrick Mahomes is? Well, I'm not recalling the exact quote. Really? Really? Oh, I do recall. Oh, go ahead. Patrick Mahomes is as good a quarterback. No, no, no. He is the best quarterback. Why would you lie? He is the best quarterback I have ever seen in the history of the NFL. It wasn't about what you've seen. You said the best quarterback walking the earth ever. Yes. No quarterback has ever been this good. Yes. Huh. Huh. You know, I'm going to stand by that, though. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously. and, And, again, we did this one straight out of Vegas. Like, like there is no statistical case of that. If you compare quarterbacks to their era, meaning obviously the best quarterback today is going to be better than any other time. But I'm not even sure Mahomes is maybe he's the best statistical quarterback in the last three years. 
He's two, two, and one. And but QBR. again, you understand QBR is not the only thing, right? That's I true. Mean, I, I, I respect QBR, but Drew Brees was what? He was uh, two, two, and three, or whatever. There was a, there was a six. Yeah, it was like no, there, two, there two. was no six. This year was a six. So I mean, if you want to count right. this, yeah, year. you're you're right. So the Brees six, three, and two the last three years. Yeah, okay. so two and three. Yeah. So I mean, and 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 a Brees apparently by some accounts was a negative for quite a while now. But you know, it does seem interesting that the the the, the Sean Payton and the Kamara and prior to this year, Michael Thomas would have been maybe the other three. Mm. And so I'm not saying Mahomes, but he was. That's I, a great point because the, the the fundamental problem with QBR, right, is the whole, all, we all don't have the same receivers. If I've got the best receivers, obviously that's going to help my numbers. And that's where pro football focus is grading abstracted from the support around him. And Mahomes gets good grades. I mean, he's I think he probably won most of these years but he's right there you know Watson probably maybe could have eh, I think he probably had a better year than Mahomes in the regular season this year but Watson had his best year right Aaron Rodgers certainly did mm -hmm. so if the guy's the best quarterback to ever walk the earth but he's in his prime his prime and he has another quarterback that has a better year than him that doesn't make sense does it he was coasting well, it sounds like the rules don't apply. Yes. But see, that's the thing. Is with Mahomes, it's it's some type of Steve Jobsian distortion field, is all the wise guys, the entire or the analytics wise guys will call them. It was like no matter what oh, they got beat by the Raiders. Yeah, I haven't downgraded them. You know? It, it's like uh and then it's like the game of all games, the revenge of the bus circumnavigating the stadium, Magellan style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's <laughs> the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but, but Magellan giving the finger on the way out, and it's like, they were so focused against the Raiders, weren't they? Almost lost again. They yep. almost lost again. But you know what? Don't blame him. I mean, it's like the guy is like the Pope. Like as a Catholic, the, one of the things about the Pope is because he gets to dictate man, you know, I'm no expert on this stuff, but because he gets to dictate certain laws of the church, if he set, he can never be wrong because the very act of him, it's kind of like Nixon said, the very act of the Pope saying, this is the case, makes it the case. If Mahomes loses a game or comes close to losing a game, it was justified. Somehow it doesn't matter. I've never seen that before. I mean, it must be nice. <laughs> and we'll see. We'll see. But what we know is his over-unders for Super Bowl wins from here is one and a half over minus 150 at the Westgate right now. On his current contract, right? I no. believe. Yeah, it's through the 2031-32 oh. season. Yeah, so the current contract is in, which is a difference, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's what, 12 years? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so 12 years over under one and a half. That means that, and, and within, you know, so it's yeah, 1.8 or whatever. It's on the way to two. That'd be great, right? But that means that if he exceeds expectations, he's going to have three Super Bowls. Yes. And if he falls short by a smidge, he'll have two. One more. That's not seven. 
That's not four. It's not Terry Bradshaw level. It's not Joe Montana level. So, like, I'm, where is this the greatest of all time? It's not statistical. It's not winning. Where is it, Steve? Bring up a great point. When we're measuring by rings and well, no, and he's got the supporting cast, right? You for know, sure. so we're not only measuring by rings. We're saying that, like. We're looking at every possible way we could say this guy's so good. And I could argue the Chiefs and Mahomes right now are in the very top of their game. I mean, it's I think it's a leap of faith to say, hey, they're all going to get better. Especially because of the contract. Yes. I mean, that's Yes, you thing. laid it out. So now I can't uh, – they're like, oh, we'll just need to get – we got to get rid of the Sammy Jared Watkins. Goff, Jared Goff made the Super Bowl on a rookie deal. Yeah, because you had, you know, Cooper Cup and you had, you know, Woods and you had Cooks. You had three really good wide receivers. Oh, plus I, the uh, – uh, the cornerback they got from Kansas City that then went to Baltimore, Peters, I guess. Yeah. I mean, so to me, he's got the supporting cast. He could he could be over in the playoffs. And and then you think about Andy Reid. So if they had just lost, and again they won, but they had lost that San Francisco game. What was Andy and Mike? If it takes a minute, Mackenzie, no problem. What was Andy Reid in conference championships and Super Bowls under that? You know, if if hypothetical of losing against San Fran, four and eight. No, would have been three and eight if he had lost. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. So three and eight. I don't even understand that. So they made the Super Bowl. I think it was they made the Super Bowl twice and lost. So there was two wins there. What once for Philly, and oh, okay, it'd be now it'd be three because they made the Super Bowl three times, but would have won none of them in this hypothetical. So three and eight, okay. Right. So if you're three and eight, no, but again, you're four and seven, but it's like, eh, it's not great. So I think Andy Reid's a you know one of the top five coaches today. He's not Belichick. He's not Bill Walsh. I don't even know if he's Chuck Knoll. I, not Jimmy Johnson, I don't think. I don't know. I know Jimmy Johnson seemed to win every year, you know, with the Cowboys. Till he let. We're such prisoners of the moment. Talk radio perpetuates his stuff. And, I mean, I love Colin. Colin's been great with me. He's having a health issue. So, um, uh, you know, obviously, you know, if anytime we're going to be easy on him, it's going to be now. But when he was talking last week about how, hey, if Mahomes wins the next three, it'll be the first time he's, anyone's ever won three. And Andy Reid might get five or six, and then is it going to be a valid conversation? He's better than Belichick. It's like, yeah, if my aunt, you know, the famous, <laughs> the famous line, if my aunt had balls, she'd be my uncle, <laughs> is, I mean... I, I don't know, but all the hypothetical talk, I think, serves to diminish when it happens. If thinking it and doing it is almost the same, then that means we're under, we're devaluing doing it. Belichick did it. But somehow, because of one year in which they paid their, you know, the salary cap bill came due for one year... The idea that Belichick now isn't a great coach because they went seven and nine one year. I think that going seven and nine was amazing. 
PFF grades for this year, Aaron Rodgers, number one. Okay, so that's not Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady, number two. That's not Mahomes. Deshaun Watson, number three. Hmm, not Mahomes. Oh, Mahomes is four, but tied with Josh Allen at 91. 91 grade. That feels about right to me on a slight down year. You're right. He probably did coast a little bit, though he's a little young to be coasting. You know, I can't help but think maybe what's happened is that I've fallen in love with, and even in the Super Bowl we saw this, where he, you want to you plug into cool. You like cool. I do because I'm not cool. Exactly. I'm very uncool. Uh, agreed. So I see a guy that is cool enough to not just dump it off for a three-yard gain under duress. It's cool enough not to throw it out of bounds, but he's cool enough to run backwards 20 yards. The rules don't apply to him. Evade three guys trying to kill him, including Sue, who scares me, and still can, like, zing the ball underhand into the end zone into coverage and almost complete it. That's cool. It is. And, and, and it is. It, it probably is what puts him in this top category. It might actually have him on top. Right? I would make the case over the last three years, he's on top. Because Brady had a down year last year. Rodgers had a couple down years right. prior to this year. And Watson wasn't down, but he wasn't quite at this level. So if you – Kenzie, do me a favor. Just if you, if you don't mind, go back – and this will take a minute, but just do it for Rodgers, Brady, Watson, Mahomes – Give me their three-year numbers. Just And you don't have to give me the three numbers. Just give me the average. Got you. Nope. Yep, yeah. got you. And I'm guessing Mahomes is going to be number one. And he probably is the best. But he isn't necessarily the best of all time. And even if he is, the best of all time over what? Two or three years? Mm -hmm. It's like, that's that's impressive. But it's not a career. We have no idea how he's going to age. Tannehill's been really good the last two years. Yeah, on a different level, but yeah, um, meaning lower level. All right, I'm R.J. Bell. Steve Fezzik joins on the Dream Preview Super Bowl Recap Edition. All right, let's keep going. So Tom Brady in the Bucks. Yeah, I guess you could say that O-line mattering, defense matters. There's a lot of talk defense doesn't matter, right? I was perpetuating some of that. Well, maybe in the Super Bowl, and I think this is a powerful point, the Super Bowl is different. You can't have watched the game and saw the punter for Kansas City and not understand that the Super Bowl was different. Yeah, poor Tommy Townsend, a rookie, has had a perfectly capable year, and he gets a perfect snap back to him, and he drops it. Case of the nerves. And not one, but two of his punts get shanked over the course of the game. He only punted three times. Obviously, nerves were getting to Townsend. So I think this is something to think about with prop betting, too, is there was a lot of money that was lost by wise guys on safeties in the Super Bowl. And, Mackenzie, you have a uh, list of the safeties the last 10 years? Yep. You got You ready with it? Yeah, so it happened every year, 2011, 2012, and 2013, three years in a row. And that was the only time in the last 10 years. So 30% of the last 10 years. Now, if I'm not mistaken, a safety was projected to be what? Like 5% of games, Fez? 6%. All right, 6%. So 30% versus 6%. It's more. <laughs> I, I don't think you can watch the Super Bowl and not understand that the pressure is the whole first quarter thing right with Brady 
And on that last play, which was a huge play for a lot of, you know, the, the over-under of 10. And I mean, he shows Oh, you. and the first quarter, um, who was going to cover? Who's going to cover? Will there be a lead change in the first quarter? Which is rare, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, really rare. So, because when you hardly have scoring. <laughs> so, so in general, the Super Bowl is different. And you know what it reminds me of? The Triple Crown. I love the Triple Crown. Not to watch necessarily or bet even, but as a sporting achievement. Because you have to have skills that are not intermittent, but disparate. Skills that are different and so- sometimes mutually exclusive. Usually someone doesn't both have great creativity and great uh, human, and then also great attention to detail. Usually a creative person doesn't have attention to detail and vice versa. There's the accountant, the actuary, right? And then there's the painter or the, or the filmmaker. Now, occasionally, though, like a Spielberg had both, and that's why he owned, owned a studio and is a billionaire, one of the reasons, I think. In the Triple Crown, the Belmont is a long race. It's the longest race that the three-year-olds run. And to be good at that, it's hard. And then also be good to win the Kentucky Derby, which requires speed out of the gate because there's 20, and I'm no horse racing expert, but because there's 20 horses typically, and you got to get, if you get in the, in the, the muck or, or in, the, in the mosh pit, I guess, of the horses, it can be hit or miss. It's random. You can get trapped the whole race. But you get out in front, you don't have a problem. They're behind you, and then you got to hold. But the Belmont, you can't be early speed. Early speed never wins the Belmont. And to think there's certain horses that are bred for distance that they hold back, and they don't have them race the, the Derby. They don't have them race the Belmont. Or I'm sorry, check that, the Preakness. Then they race the Belmont. The shooter's ready, just waiting for them. And these horses never run three weeks off or, or it's two weeks off and three weeks off. It's, so to have those races in seven weeks or whatever it is or eight weeks to have, uh, I guess it's uh, one week off but two weeks apart, however you want to say that. But that's why the Triple Crown almost never happens. But when it does, we know the names. Secretary, I can still remember at my best buddy's house, they had a, a, a set of secretariat glasses. Mm-hmm. Now imagine a horse getting so big that there's glasses that have like a picture of them as, you know, younger, you know, it has a little bit of info on there about him. I mean, the guy, the, a horse had glasses, right? That's all you need to say because of how great he was. And, you know, there's been, uh, what was that? Who won the Triple Crown? It's not secretariat level. <laughs> Uh, Smarty Jones was that wasn't that is that the one that won? They, Smarty Jones lost in the Belmonts, and and that's the thing. And the, the Belmont, and I obviously was. McCann, can you look at that? Uh, American Pharaoh won the Triple uh, Crown. Uh, so that's the only other one since. Um, well, there was it was in '77 too. Affirmed in Aladar. Yeah, I think yeah. so. That's good. Um, so there's been three since, and I think before Secretariat had been 20 years or something. Yep, since 1946, sorry, 1948 to 1973, 25 years without one. Yeah, and then, so there's been three since WW2. Wait, uh, one, two, there's actually been five. There was Secretariat, Seattle Slough in 77, Affirmed in 78, American Pharaoh, and then Justify was the latest one in 2018. 
Oh, okay. I didn't remember that. You know, it's interesting. I guess once it happens a couple of times, you know. It just shows how focused we become in with the sports betting. Yeah, but either way, you're going to have spurts and all that. But oh, so five over the last 70 years, right? So to me, that's a hell of an accomplishment. And to me, the obvious analogy is the Super Bowl is a different game. It's the pressure than the regular season, than even the rest of the playoffs. But it's also typically the flags go in the pockets, not as many flags, and you get physical, right? You, you're gonna, you can get physical because they're not swallowing the, or they are swallowing the whistle. And Kansas City or some of these, I, and I always like, it just doesn't never seem rational to me that these horrible quarterbacks could get to the Super Bowl but hardly ever win it. Like, think about it. If you look at the list of the winning quarterbacks this century, there's going to be the Brad Johnson, but he wasn't a bad quarterback. And Dilfer obviously jumps out. But if we say since passing became so dominant, and even say 2005, you know, Nick Foles is the one who played as well as anyone could play. Mm -hmm. And he, listen, the guy, the guy had, what was it? Was it 27 touchdowns and three interceptions one year? Under I think Chip? it was two, but yeah. 27. yeah. 27 and two under Chip Kelly. I remember that. So this guy was, a, you know, I don't understand how he ebbs and flows. High ceiling. Yeah. But still, you got one kind of, hmm, really? And then it's like freaking Hall of Fame on the other. I mean, it's like, it really is. But then you got Rex Grossman. You got, you got uh, Jake DeLome. I mean, you got... McNabb, guys that are not Hall of Famers or even close. And they can all make the Super Bowl, but they wilt. It's like you, they can't win the Super Bowl. So to me, that's pressure, but it's also the style of play. And it was fascinating to think, okay, maybe the game has changed. Maybe we're moving towards a Kansas City style of play. Maybe Tampa is a little anachronistic a little bit out of time with their style. But you know what? That's the style to win the, win the game, the Super Bowl. Whereas maybe Kansas City's style is best to get to the Super Bowl. Mm. And I love the idea that you have to have both gears. You have to have both. It's like winning the French Open. Another example, five sets on that clay with those long points. There's only, you got to be in world-class shape like, think about it. Agassi had a couple years where he was in world-class shape and he won a French Open in those years. Every other year, he wasn't even, you know, hard, couldn't make the quarters because it was so grueling. You had to be in such good shape. Can't just rely on a big banging serve. Yeah. There, yeah, because with the clay, that's not the case. And to me, that's what makes the, the, uh, the whole idea of the lifetime Grand Slam so fascinating. You got to have all different gears. Right in tennis, because Wimbledon obviously grass, Australian Open and U.S. Open is very similar. But you, you know, you got to deal with the toilets going the opposite way. But okay, <laughs> but then U.S. Open on hard court, so it really is the gamut. And there's only a handful of people. 
Pete Sampras doesn't have a career slam. You know, this is a great point because I'm thinking about golf also, how the golf courses obviously are set up so much different. So to win a grand slam in tennis or golf. I think especially the British Open. Yes. With the, with the style of play the over links in and, 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 and the ball like rolling forever until yeah. it goes into a pot bunker. The um, contrast that to basketball where like in Hoosiers, oh, 10 feet high, it's exactly the same court, right? Yeah, but I would make the case the seven-game series is a whole different thing. Like, to do well in the regular season means you keep a, like, Spurs style back in the day, keep a steady effort level, don't overkill, don't kill yourself, but stay steady. And then, but the playoffs is about, one, the adjustments throughout the seven games, which you never get during the regular season. And that's why certain players, like, obviously, another analogy is the Milwaukee Bucks, who has been in the prior two seasons, not this season, who has been the best team in the regular season? It hasn't even been close, right? Not even close. Milwaukee. And they're number one again this year in points per game differential. Just under 10 per game. Better than Utah, better than every other team. And their defense was was really dropped off for a while, right? But now it's coming back a little bit. And mm-hmm. uh, apparently they're on pace to beat Dallas's record. Is that right, McKenzie? Dallas's record on uh, offensive efficiency from last year? Yep, offensive net rating, they would be number one all time right now. And you know what? They didn't even make a finals because it's a different breed of basketball. It's the adjustment. It's you need a guy can create his own shot because it's – I love that. I love that. And to me, the Super Bowl, I never thought of it that way, but I now see to win that game. And I do think this whole talk about, oh, so Bradshaw went four for four – but if someone goes four out of six, that's worse. And somehow it'd be better if they had lost in the conference finals, you know, I, or conference championship. I don't know. But what I know is someone that goes to that game, which is different because of the pressure, because of different other things too, and can win every time they're there, four out of four, let's say, it's something. It's something very special. And someone that goes 0 for 4, we could say the difference between Bradshaw and Jim Kelly is four games. Does anyone really believe that? That it's four random games? No. And I don't know how to quantify it, but what I know is that if San Fran is San Fran was 85% to win that game in the fourth quarter. And wouldn't that be another example of a team that fundamentally was better? And maybe Mahomes is in this all-time class because he could overcome that the one time when everything was going, where he was in a position with his youth, with his playmakers, with everyone's engagement because it was the first Super Bowl. How often is that going to be replaced? Mahomes isn't getting any better, I don't think. Hmm. What do you think? You know, I love what you're talking about, how the Super Bowl is different than any other animal, going back to the safeties and the nerves associated with it. I, lo- I love the fact that the average is right around 5%, like you said, in a regular season game. And now we've had three straight safeties. Let's do a little math here. Simple math. 120th chance for a safety, right? The power three. To the power three, that's 8,000 to one. That's the same chance of you walking up to a blackjack table, putting your money out, and snapping blackjack after blackjack after blackjack. Is it going to happen? Yeah, if you play a couple months, you'll get three blackjacks in a row. Guess what? You won't get it if you only play 10 hands, and yet it happened three times in a row in the Super Bowl. That means 5%. It doesn't completely disprove that 5% assumption, but it really does. 5% way too low.
because of the pressure. And yeah. Mackenzie, I, I think we did the work about exactly where the safeties, well, I guess look in the box score. But um, I know one of them, if I recall, one was a snap over the head early and one was Brady uh, throwing a um, uh, intentional grounding early. So w what was the point of the game both of those were? So two of them happened in the first five minutes. The two you mentioned, Peyton Manning, the ball goes over his head in 2013. In 2011, Brady threw that uh, errant pass that was called an intentional grounding. The other one was in 2012, was on intentional. At the very end of the fourth quarter, the Ravens ran it back to cut their five-point lead to three, but waste a couple seconds off the clock. Harbaugh. He smells. So think about those odds, Fez, is when his nerves at the height. Beginning of the game. So the idea of that, you know, and that's where that first score is a safety was such a huge, you know, in hindsight was a pretty good prop. And there's a lot of data that supports how bad these offenses do to start and, the Super Bowls, right, in terms of struggling to score in both teams in the Super Bowl, punted on their first possessions. And, and, and I think the struggling to score, though, is is about you're saying that they might be closer to their own end zone. But I think it's they struggle to score because of the pressure and they have safeties because of the pressure. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the odds of having two safeties in the first five minutes of uh, 10 games is all, you know, that's much more than eight, uh, 8,000 to one, right? Because, I mean, if you say the first five minutes, it's going to be what? One third times four, one twelfth of the game. And it's right. not linear. Safeties are more likely to occur, you know, not in the first five minutes. Because think about it. Because unless you muff the kickoff or something. Yeah, you're not. Safeties oftentimes happen, right, when you stuff a team on fourth and one, and now you're stuck on your own one-yard line, right? Yeah. So uh, the Super Bowl is different in many ways, and Kansas City wasn't built for that this year. And we can talk about the O-line, but it may be a harbinger of things to come as the salary cap hit for Mahomes increases. You know, McKenzie's getting pretty good on the mic. He sounds really sharp. He's not this sharp. <laughs> but, I mean, you do. It's, he sounds good. Like, when, he, when, when he's got his little lectern out and we're getting ready for shows and stuff, he's not this sharp. You should see him showboating Saturday night. What was he doing? Well, he's actively engaged. He's showboating. Well, oh, you mean on the radio with Bernie? Yes. Oh, he loves that radio. He... he <laughs> I mean, there's not. I mean, again, this is the guy that had an opportunity because of nepotism to be a um, what, what, an intern, right? Yeah, a PR intern. Yeah, with the Washington then Redskins, and they said there's only one rule: you can't do any media without our express <laughs> written permission. He said, "All right, I hear you." That evening, <laughs> he does a podcast. <laughs> He's fired or he's reassigned the next – was it the next day? It was the very next day. So you didn't make it – you made it like 26 hours. <laughs> uh, yeah, about 18 from uh, – yeah, about 24. Yeah, total. Total 24. <laughs> he loves the mic. I got to tell you this story. So Mackenzie asked me to grade him on his props on Saturday night, all right? So grade him on – oh, you mean he had a card in – he wanted you to say, how good of a car do you think this is? Right. So I said, you know, I give you an A, and then I was trying to say on your first prop. I didn't even get it out. Mackenzie, you remember what you said right when after I said you get an A? I said, like, yes or something. <laughs> he's, he's celebratory. And I'm like, no, no, it's just on your first prop. You get an A on the first prop. I haven't addressed the other two. They so. were not A's. They were not A's. And how'd they do? One, one, and one on that card. Now, 
you may wonder why Fez is bringing up a story about someone else. He rarely does that. It's because he can't wait to talk about his props. <laughs> I mean, it is like right now it's torture for him because I'm not leading the show with it. But let's just say mighty good. And he'll have his chance, the hot dog and showboat. But we're going to make you deliver some value first. Bef to the to the audience before you hot dog and showboat. And you got some showboating to do as oh, well, enhancing I'm... the portfolio last week greatly. You know, like Jerry Rice said, act like you've been there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, so what else do you got uh, on the game itself? Um, go ahead, Fez, and then I got a few last things. You know, I'm obviously going to have a focus towards betting the game. Yeah, so let's not – I want to talk about the game play itself first, and then we'll get to the bets. Mm, okay. And if you don't have anything else, that's fine. Um, I'll, I'll jump in. Oh, you got something? No, it's all betting. Okay. So Andy Reid and, you know, the tragedy, we'll say, with his son. I don't even know all the details. Obviously – there's a lot of reasons that that would be a distraction. One, it's his son, and, you know, obviously he had a son OD when he was with Philadelphia. So now it's like another one with, with these substances. And also, to some degree, you'd maybe feel guilty about, you know, it happening and hurting an innocent person and, you know, true, genuine worry about that innocent in addition to about your boy. So, I mean... The idea that this wasn't going to distract him just made no sense to me. Um, the fact that they had no answers, no adjustments. It's one thing to try adjustments and they don't work. They didn't even try adjustments. I mean, have you ever seen an elite coach so flummoxed by a too high safety? I mean, I'm not going to critique too high safety or what they were doing because I don't know enough to say but it doesn't feel like – it feels like Kansas – if I just cut up plays and cut up 10 plays, could you tell when they were from? Meaning oh, fourth no. quarter, second quarter. You All look the same. That's not the way it's supposed to be when you're getting dominated. No, right? you you make the adjustments. And, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, he ran for over seven yards per carry. So it's like, what are we doing, you know? The, the, no, lack of patience. Lack of patience. Yeah, And in this case, though, back to the topic of Andy Reid and, and the lack of adjustments could have done a lot. One of the things could have been more running, right? Whatever. Now, you could say, oh, the game was out of hand. Well, it wasn't for quite a while. It did get out of hand, but not initially and not for quite a while. Now, here's the other thing. Eric Bieniemy didn't get a job, had job, and a lot of things, oh, this could be racism, and how do I don't know? How would I know? But I mean, I could see it. Obviously, most owners, if not all owners, are white. If I'm not mistaken, I don't know. Is there any minority owners? The Jaguars owner. Oh, okay. So Khan? Yeah, Shed Khan. Would be the non white one. Okay. Is it, what is he? Um, I, I guess what's his. Um, pedigree, not pedigree, what would you say? He's Pakistani-born, American billionaire, businessman, and sports tycoon, says Wikipedia. All right, that's a good little... Uh, he's got his PR agent on that <laughs> one. No, that's good. I mean, billionaire, you can end there. Um, obviously, the Pakistani contingent in the NFL is pretty <laughs> modest, I think. So it's, it's good. I mean, I'm happy. I, I want everyone to have a chance. Um, but 
in general, people hire people like them. They're comfortable with people like them. And they can read books about diversity. And, and I think most serious business people agree with that. Is ha- like McKenzie's a smart guy, but him having a different upbringing in a big city like Chicago, being uh, you know an African American, it's it's a situation that is just a different up. You know, being younger, it's all different perspectives. And and to me, I'd say seventy percent of the value he brings is his intelligence and w- it applied. But 30% is he has just a different perspective. And if he had an IQ of 105, he'd still have – it would take him longer to say it. But it takes him a while now. But still, <laughs> is it, and to me, most business owners understand that, good ones. And they try not to have a homogenized workforce. They want to have executives from different backgrounds, both ethnic or maybe educational, whatever, right? You know what? I'm going to disagree. All right. Well, th- you were in corporate America. Yeah, I, I think most really good business owners do that. But you know what? A lot of business owners, my experience has been, like you said, people tend to hire. With the Transamerica, which was a big company, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many people worked there uh, when you were there? <sighs> 10,000. Yeah. yeah. So what, I'm, now this would have been what, like the late 90s? Yes. So was there an, was there an explicit initiative for diversity? Yes. Right. And, and I can tell you on the higher-ups, a lot of people would – there would be whispers like, well, that person's not really qualified, you know, that people didn't embrace that at all. And at the very, oh, very – that's, that's an old debate, though, is mm-hmm. were they? I mean, and, and, and obviously that's the debate about quotas, right, is if someone does, isn't there by quote-unquote merit, is it – should they be there? And the other side – the obvious answer from one perspective is no. It should be about who's who's qualified. On the other hand, you could say, well, how does that person ever get qualified? If you you know, and the the diversity is going to be worth any shortfall. So I guess what I'm saying is, if you're t- telling me and 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 maybe, you know, thing I'm trying to do is not jump on on your stuff. So I kind of did there. So I'm going to say my bad. Let me let you finish. I'm going to try to get better at this. You finish, and then I'll respond. Well, my experience was what happens is it's um, it's St. Patrick's Day, right? And so senior management would all go get a drink. And was there an Irish content? Like, were they really pushing to hire more Irish people? No, but uh. it, but, but but what happens is that the uh, the higher ups oftentimes selectively so would is all. It, is this co- is this a way for you to tell us that you were in on that meeting? That, that you were amongst the higher-ups? No, I was not at, at the higher-ups. Well, how do you know what was ha- You were vice president, right? Yeah. How many vice presidents were there? A uh, hundred of them. So you were one of the top hundred in a, a, a company of 10,000. Yeah. And you were like 35. Yes. All right, go ahead. So I was on track for that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it sure, it sure seemed to me that when the very highest of the higher-ups all went out for beers and, and talked about, you know, non-business along with business things, that the diversity wasn't there. But how could it be if the people that met the level to be in that meeting weren't minority? Right. Yeah, but if there were if there were like ten people and two of them were minorities, and I ran into four of them at McCormick and Schmick's after work, well, there there wouldn't be any diversity oh, so, in that meeting. So, so what you're saying is the actual um, official meeting had the diversity. Yes. But then when people paired off, they socially they kept with their own kind. That's right. 
I don't think that's ever going to change. I think that's hardwired in us that we, you know, again, I'm, again, this is pop psychology or in a pop sociology, I guess, but, or anthropology, I don't know, <laughs> is the idea that we, when we see someone that doesn't look like us, it's like, imagine being out on the plains in Africa or whatever <laughs> and, and seeing someone coming. It's like, that don't look like one of ours, you know, and then usually the fight to the death was going to happen, mm. right? So I don't know. Maybe that's just a bunch of excuses to have it where people don't uh, get along. I don't know. But in a way, it's hard to blame. If you work all day and then, you know, obviously when you have those kind of like on-site meetings, they're usually nonstop. It's a tiring day. And then you got like usually three days of them in a row, right? I mean, because people fly in. Right. People want to relax after, right? And that's the thing is I'm not saying this is the excuse to keep women out. It's like the idea you can't make an off-color joke was the old trope of why, you know, women maybe were considered to be, you know, ball busters or whatever. And you know what? I think within the official reality or not official reality, within the official interactions or, or company functions, I think demanding that even if it makes you a little uncomfortable, demanding some diversity at the biggest companies, at the ones that there should be something imposed upon. I'm not a small business, but well, I think that's fair. If you're going to be at that high level making that big money, you got to be a little bit on your toes to, to make it work. That's fine. But if you're going to go have a beer after, you can't legislate who goes, who sure. goes for the beer. And... Let's be candid, Faz. I've I don't see you hanging out like you know. I don't see you. Uh, I don't see anyone really too often hanging out like down. I don't see you down. Um, let's say on Sands and and, and Paradise too often, or let's say uh, Mark Twain in Paradise. It turns into Sands, but you, you know where I'm talking about, right? Sure. You're not down there, are you? Well, I used to live at the Meridian. Which is you know right on you know in in that neck of the woods. So and you had a private, you had an under, probably an underground garage, right? Yeah, and it's like an ex <laughs> it's like an, it's like an executive apartment yeah, complex. Yeah, the, the, the Turnberry's right there in that bad neighborhood there, too. There's, but there's, they have gates up, and they, have, a, they have walls up, and there's a Panera right there on Flamingo and like <laughs> and. Uh, what is that? Paradise. Yes. There's a Panera? I know. I saw it. I was going to take a picture of it. It's like, see, there's a Panera that's not in like an upper crust neighborhood. But you didn't go in. I did not. <laughs> I used to drive back on Twain from the Mirage. So the Mirage, I lived up on Flamingo and Maryland, uh, right on campus, on the edge of yeah. campus, right? There's the Greek place that was right there, Mediterranean Cafe. And I was right, you know, behind there, like 200 yards. Red Lobster. Yeah, I never went to that. I never liked the Red Lobster. But there was a, I'll tell you this, there was an Olive Garden. Mm. And let me tell you this, when they had the endless spaghetti bowl, Mark. <laughs> it was painful. It was painful. They had the Bloomin' Onion place too, right? Right there? Oh, no, th that was actually about three blocks, the other, uh, three blocks and, and then heading towards Trop. Yeah. But yeah, so that, I mean, I've lived... My original place, and that's only uh, you know three miles from where I moved, and I've been in that same little. You know, I like being around college. If I'm in a college town, I like being around a college. Yeah. That's you know, anyone in Summerlin, you know, they're bougie. They're too bougie for me. So anyway, to get from uh, Maryland, the way to do it because you could back right into the Mirage was 
you know, where you've got now the wind on the right as you go by is right down uh, Twain in the sands, and you could go right into the back garage. I mean, it was the perfect, you know, self-park back there. And, um, and then I drive back, you know, the same way, you know, usually at 4 in the morning or whatever, and there was one place about two blocks from Maryland heading east that was um, a really good, you know, old-school burrito place. <laughs> And it was usually pretty crowded. And there's more, uh, I'd say there's more people on the stroll, more gals on the stroll um, around that area than any place I've ever been around. I haven't been to every bad part of Vegas, but uh, that's one where almost everyone, I don't want to say almost everyone, a lot of the people in that area, there's a lot of temporary, like weekly type Mm -hmm. um, renting, you know, and you know, I would say a big chunk are either or both on drugs or, you know, working, either the girls, working girls, and the, uh, it was a very, in a way, it was a very kind of interesting mix, but on the other hand, I mean, you know, a knife can come out at any time in that kind of environment, but I would pop in and get a burrito, like, almost every time coming back, again, I was, you know, about 225 at the time so but the um yeah yeah but i never saw you i was around you weren't there at the red lobster (laughs) (laughs) but Mackenzie, i mean see it's funny though i don't know i never got i never get uncomfortable with Mackenzie. it's like and and, i mean again we were talking about the the intrinsic diversity i mean like just who he is What's been your experience? What have you? Like, what would you, I'm? I'm not even going to ask a question because I don't even know what question I asked. But based on the topic we're talking about, what would you add? I'd say that there are some of us that in that great African plains will look across and see no one that looks like us. Like one in thirty people looks like me, being a mixed race person. But you know, since high school, everyone's we always noticed. You know, there was an Asian table, and there was this table, and there was that table, and. You know, it breaks down. Eventually, people start intermixing, but the natural instinct is definitely to stick with whoever looks like 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 you mostly. Yeah, so that's interesting. I I and again, I know this is my failing, but I've never really like when I when I think about and again, this is probably not a good thing, but when I think about, I'm thinking, oh, that guy's black or that girl's black. And then at different times when I get to know them and, and I'll say that, you know, offhandedly, they'll go, oh, no, I'm mixed. And that whole, like, designation of that. But, I mean, before 23andMe or whatever, I mean, I guess you you have the skin color issue, right? But other than that, I mean, how does, that, how does anyone really know what, you know, how mixed they are? You don't. It's a personal decision. And, you know, statistically, I think 90 percent of African-Americans, you know, have some white in them or maybe more than that. But, you know, some people say that they're mixed. Some people like Drake just, you know, appear black and they're black. But for me, like when I'm with my black friends, it's just clear that I'm different. So I can't really choose to so be. Really? And do they, do they treat you? I mean, your friends are different. They, but they, they might crack a joke, you know, with my friends. And as far as people I don't know, they might say, uh, you know, What's up, Os- uh, Osama or something? You know, thinking I'm Indian, but yeah, I've, I've it's still it's a little different. You know, I, I, I think of myself as black, but it's not like walking through the earth. When walking around, you know, it's the same as every other black person. Yeah. So, last question for me is, 
when you were young, let's say 15, right? So you're ready to, you could really get into trouble, but you're still young. Um, did you feel a pull to be more hard to kind of prove your bona fides? Yeah, I had my white tee. I had my silver chain. But but I'm, what I'm saying is you were you were you felt a draw towards kind of a proven ground. Yeah, I was. You know, that's the kind of time you establish your identity. I was very conscious of. But do you think if you were more uh, blacker, and and you weren't looked at as as mixed or looked at as you know more white, do you think you would have been drawn as much to the, you know the proven ground of you know whatever gang? No, I'm not saying yeah, gang stuff, I mean, but you know trouble. Yeah, I felt like there was I think I felt there was more of a need to to prove myself than I would if I looked like my friend Obi, for example. So then wouldn't that have pushed you away from academia? It might, but you know, uh, it's But it didn't. You no, got it, into it didn't. Yale. I'm, I had good parents that, you know. So you you were just posing on the white tee <laughs> exactly, and exactly. you were going home and I'd studying. Go, go home and get my ACT prep book out. Yeah. <laughs> That's fascinating. It really is. All right, I'm R.J. Bell. That's Mackenzie and Steve Fezzik. Mackenzie Rivers. Yes, it's a good name. Not Mackenzie so much, but Rivers. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> All right, so here's the question. Eric Bianami, who got us off on that foray, he got some interviews, or most of the interviews, and I think after the fact, all of them is... Mackenzie helped us understand today after the show was over is um, he didn't get hired. And it didn't seem like he was even in the mix to be really hired by reporting. I think this was an indictment, this lack of uh, adjustment, because let's assume Andy Reid is out of sorts, not sleeping, you know, kind of in a thousand yard stare. Isn't that where Biennemi steps up and says, Coach, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? I mean, the fact that Andy Reid's a good coach, we know that. So something caught either there was some brilliant reason he didn't make adjustments, which never panned out, right? Or he was out of it to some degree. You know, not creative, not, you know. It's hard to, when you're stressed, it's hard to be creative, man. It's hard. Creativity is magical. You can't, when you're old, it's hard. When you're stretched, you're hard. When you're tired, it's hard. He wasn't being creative. Wouldn't the enemy step up there? And the fact he didn't, isn't that an indictment? Yes. And so you're saying the black man, oh, God. It makes a lot of sense. The <laughs> enemy has to like look at this like, oh, my God, Andy Reid's got all these distractions. You know what? I got to work as hard as I've ever worked here but the I'm next 48 hours. I'm talking about in-game, though. Yeah, to be ready but to take this over. It's just not like, like he's not ready. He's got to know the system enough to be able to say, let's do something different. We can't keep yeah. doing the same thing. Yeah, but but if ever there's a time that he should be ready for that being more of a possibility that he's going to take a, have to take would. a bigger lead role. It's like, it's like, RJ, if you had emailed me the night before and said, you know what, Fez? But we don't know if he was ready or not. Yeah. We know that he didn't do it. Right. And maybe somehow he wanted to and, and Reed wouldn't let him. It's but possible. Then, but if that's the case, that's an indictment too. Mm-hmm. Because if Andy Reid is considered such a great coach and mentor, if he doesn't let Biennemi veto him on something like that, then what does that say? Then it says he doesn't trust him. Yeah. Yes, I don't know. Right. But what I know is that's not being discussed and it should be. Um, I'm having a minute. The Bears coach. Nagy. Nagy, or yeah, Nagy. Is it Nagy or Nagy? I think it's Nagy. I think it's Nagy. Right. All right. So Nagy's was borderline fired this year 
Peterson was fired. What's with the Andy Reid tree? Seems to have lost a little luster. No doubt. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Okay. And also the whole car, you know, the idea of Carson Wentz is supposed to be certainly um, now uh, traded after they got rid of Peterson. I, I'm still trying to figure that one out. Okay. Foot issue. I think what we're seeing here is this. Whenever there's an, a binary play or not play, once a player plays in the playoffs, it doesn't seem like the market probably discounts the limitations. Mahomes was limited. He still played well in different ways, but he, he was limping, yep. right? I mean, do you, are we debating that? Not at all. Andy Reid was distracted. Though people said, oh, he's fine. Game plan was put in last week. And another example from this playoffs, um, Aaron Donald was a shell of himself, but we didn't even consider that. It was a complaint. I think we got to put in our back pocket that the human mind's good with binaries. It's not good with spectrums. And we, if, if someone is injured enough that we're not sure if they're going to play on Wednesday, if they play, we got to discount them. Yes. I just discount them probably at least 30% of what they're worth, you know, whatever that is. And this might not be the best example, but, you, you know, you go back to the Rams and the running back, and it, it was easy to say, oh, you know, he's still playing. So we're talking about Gurley now? Yes. And – the market's never adjusted enough to the fact that it isn't zero or one binary. It's 0.55 or whatever it is that he's playing and he's not close to 100%. And consistently, Gurley got overpriced throughout the playoffs. Okay. We're going to go to the batting. And then I've got a take on Brady and the NFL. It's going to be hot, hot, hot take. All right, Faz, I'm going to let you brain dump on the Nevada, all the batting stuff. And let's start with the state handle, go to national, and then we can go to specific props and different things. Okay, so I got the state handle at $136 million here in Nevada. That was down about 20%. What was interesting to me is, I'm sorry, down about a little more than 10%, that the win in Nevada was $12.6 million. That's 9.3%. And I think this tells a compelling story that— a drunk baby betting heads and tails at minus 110 is only going to lose at 4.5%. So throughout the state, despite all these sharps and pros betting on the Super Bowl, the bettors managed to lose at double the rate that a drunk baby flipping coins would betting on the side, the total, the money line, and any minus 110 prop. And it really goes to show, in my opinion, all the recreational money that's coming in on these props that have needle in the haystack, 40 different outcomes. So it's not that these, just that these bettors are making bad calls in their wagers, but they're making bad decisions in terms of which wagers to make and becomes a boondoggle for Nevada. And because of that, um, the books have won. I think they've lost two of the past 25 years, and I don't think the books are going to lose going forward ever because the side and the total are now a much smaller part of the big puzzle, the big piece. More than 50% of the props in most places now, more than 50% of the handle represents props being bets and not money coming in on the big three side total and money line. Uh, I know Nevada's handle was down, but offshore the handle was up. McKenzie, if you can pull up those numbers, I think you have them on how much higher the amount shown betting offshore was for the big game, right? 
Well, I don't have the offshore numbers. I actually have the rest of the United States numbers. Uh, and we see the expansion state by state by state, up to 20 and D.C. at this point. And if you just look at the legal betting last year versus the legal betting this year, now all the numbers are in yet, but we're looking at a 60% jump from last year to this year in terms of total handle in the legal U.S. sports betting market. And think about how powerful that is, a 60% jump just domestic U.S. sportsbooks. Now, I know there's more states that have legalized, but we're in the midst of a pandemic. So imagine what these numbers are going to go to next year knock on wood, when things are have returned to normal, I think the sports betting is it's just going to continue to grow. And we've talked about, you know, just offline, how the creativity in Jersey and, and with the fan duels and all that. I mean, it, it, it's an indictment of the Nevada bookies over the years. But, man, it's exciting to see the growth when, it, it, when there is that creativity, when there is that ambition. I think that's the right word, the ambition. There's the great line in Godfather 3, which I like Godfather 3, in which he goes, he doesn't have the ambition for that hit or the wit. <laughs> All right, Fez, so did you fight? I went to the restroom. You, did you fight not talking about your record? Not at all. I stayed on point. All right. Well, I've got I've got the music you requested. <laughs> Steve Fazek. Ringgame.com. How'd you do? Nine and one. That's all. That's all. I did get lucky. You got to get lucky to go nine and one. So there was a few props. I Which was the lucky one? Tampa Bay first quarter. <laughs> Went on the very last well, play. Wow, listen. It could have. I mean, it was a 50 fit. I mean, Lord. Listen, I've lost so many of those. I, I, I don't know what could happen. I'd feel guilty. I really don't. I mean, all the, all the tough breaks I've had. All right. Pringle. Under one and a half catches. Now that was funny, right? <laughs> so the hitman had that, and I gave it out on a couple shows. You know, I gave it out on straight out of Vegas, you know, with attribution. The first play of the game, and Pringle with the reception. I'm like, what? And then I heard a few Daily Fantasy guys that love Pringle because he's a local down there. Yeah, from know. Tampa area. At that point, what were the odds? Because it's not only that there's only one more catch that's required, but it's also that seemingly he's at front of mind of the Kansas City Chief game plan. Yeah, so it, it, was, it looked like a plan play. Yeah, so in my in my meaning, meaning that, it, that was the first read, right? But in my mind, I'm like, all right, if uh, given that he's part of the game plan, he's even he's on the field on the first play. I, I don't even expect him to be there. He's a number five which receiver. I said one and a half is clearly too low. Let's make it two. So to the rest of the game, and I need zero. So if we do like a distribution, right? If we say two, the rest of the game's now, right. What, what part of this is interesting? I think it's like ninety percent. He gets another catch, given he catches the yeah, first. Yeah. So you could just give us that info. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> and then I thought. And then I scratched <laughs> under my armpit. Then, <laughs> Steve. The, you're getting love right now. This is where you take a step back and say, I'm going to stay behind the line. Sure. And there's a lot of wisdom of crowds going on because I knew you liked the Pringle under. So that ultimately. I liked it because it was a good handicap for me. Yeah. Game. So. All right. So the funny thing about Pringle 
was you had him not to score a touchdown. You, and he could have caught a second pass. They threw to him in the end zone, if I remember. Yes. That would have been hilarious. Which would have put him over the one and a half, which also oh, would yes. have put him over his yardage of 12 and a half. Yes. So, I mean, would that have, I mean, for your personal work, that would that would have been a. I mean, because you were laying. What was it like nine to one or something? I laid. No, no yeah, I, I laid my seven fifty. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So everyone. Now, what is your record over the last? Because we talked about it on another uh, thing we did. What's your prop record now at pregame.com? dot com? Forty seven, twenty three, and one. And that's how many years? Eight years. All right, guys. Next year, what I'll promise you is I'll give a. In a way, we'll make it a thank you for the season. Support is next Super Bowl podcast, the final one. We'll give Fez's like maybe a 30, 40%. Like a, he'll be mad about the coupon. But we'll give him like a jumbo coupon for you guys. Because the guy is really good at the props. You know, I'm as hard on him as anyone could be. He's really, because I think he has potential. But he's really good at the props. All right. So, well, and you were a big part of this. Steve, like we, enough. Take some credit. Thank you. I get enough credit. Well, maybe not enough, but I get a fair share of it. I mean, you know. If I ever get sad, I'll just go watch my ballers. You're getting too much love. I don't I think I'll I won't necessarily though I do like to watch that once, you know, once a year or so. I don't think I've watched it in a couple of years. It's been three. All right. I often, you know, I tell Mary that it's like I was single for, you know, till I was 37. And it's like I wasn't, I didn't have any notoriety or, you know, whatever you want to say. I don't think fame is the right word, but, and it would be kind of cool to like go on a date and then when you bring him back to the house, let's say at a certain point and say, oh, um, you know, you want to see me in the rock on bottom? I mean, like that would be, I think, fairly effective, I got to think, if you know, if you did it right. <laughs> I got to tell you that the one scene on Ballers when the guy craps out for yeah. all his chips and you're like, what, you, you said, I'll see you around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that- like you dismiss him. Yeah, that that I gotta tell you. I mean, they let me. I I don't want to say this in the wrong way. Let's just say I I wrote a, all my lines, and I helped. I, I I edited every other line that had anything to do with gambling, right? But what I figured was I would look especially cool. And then what the idea that like they came to town, they were at the high level of like you know they were on a roll. So I show up, and then when they crap out. It's like, all right, this is no longer worth my time. I'm out of here. It, you know, it, it gave, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And again, the guys all the way up and down were as good as you can get. And I didn't talk to The Rock um, because, I mean, he was standing there by himself a couple of times, but I'm like, the guy's got enough problems, you know, enough stresses, right? What am I going to get? But everyone there talked real, and, and I'm talking in private. I'm not talking about if someone could hear him about how great he is, that he's just a, you know, he's a team player. And so every, yeah, I mean, to me, it was a fun experience for sure. Very fun. Um, though you do have um, appreciation for the work of actors. And it sounds absurd in a way, but there was two minutes of film that I was on 
and it was 13 hours. I mean, it was. Mm. And I was so tired at the end of that. And they wake up the next day and do it again. And, you know, some of those movies shoot for two or three months. So, I mean, they get paid a lot. Obviously, it's not a real, you know, it's not a working at 7-Eleven. It's not a manual labor thing or tedium. Well, I guess there's some tedium, but it is not easy. Let me tell you. I don't know, maybe they're on amphetamines or something. I'm not, I'm not saying anyone in particular, but it, it, I don't think I could do it. All right. So did you talk about your parlays? No. Okay. So, I mean, a lot of, I got some feedback about just the, the vindictiveness of you, like, like personally trying to take money out of someone's pocket because they banned you. It went pretty well, though. It did go very well. So I came in with two parlays I was recommending, went one and one with them. But again, paying five and a half to one. Exactly. And then you went in. pay exactly? They pay 6.541, which is the same as 5.521. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you put 100 in and you bet my two two parlays, you get back 650. Nice rate of return. But you juiced it because you added a third parlay, which also won. So we went to same, same concept, right? But we figured take Tampa Bay at plus three and a half, find a different correlation, not as strong, but the extra edge on the game. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the fact that you took a bet Tampa Bay to take the last snap from scrimmage, a below 50% bet. But you correctly said, you know, wait a minute. We like Tampa Bay plus three now. That's a good number. So that's a 55% bet. Now, given Tampa Bay covers that plus three and a half, we worked it out. I think it was 72% chance Tampa Bay is going to win. So since well, if Tampa wins, 72% chance they take this nice lap. If Tampa Bay, co- I think oh, that, yeah, yeah, if Tampa Bay point, covers yeah. three and a half, they're yeah. 72% to win. And if they win, they're much more likely to take the final snap. So you worked out all the math. I think we got 20% ROI was our estimate, and it hit. So um, hit the three-teamer. So if you would have put $100 on the three parlays, you would have won what? You would have... Uh, Cash, you've gotten thirteen hundred back on your three hundred dollar investment. So in this case, my three hundred dollar investment, because I I would have loved to have much more, but you guys were getting off what two dimes? Yes. And I didn't because you were so ingenuitive about this. I didn't want to take more, so I took a small piece. So, uh, Mackenzie got his cut. Everyone was happy. Yes. Except Nick Bondanovich, but I think he's happy too, but just a little less happy. I'm sure he did just fine in the yeah. overall results. Hey, 9% hold versus the public. Do you think that he, he's going to hold a, a grudge against you? Oh, no. He, he likes that you called him out on the biggest <laughs> betting podcast I, there is. I, Nick knows I have the utmost respect for his handicapping acumen. But, and- he's, but he's a sportsbook director, and you're, you're exploiting – you're doing the fe- you're do you're Fezzik being Fezzik. That he's he, exactly. But then you made it personal. You, you know what I'm saying? You did. You you actually direct. You addressed him by name, right? Yeah. Do you know who I am? I'm Mo Green. I made my bones when you were going out with cheerleaders. You just you called him out. I hope everything works out for you. Better I, than Mo Green. <laughs> I personally had nothing to do with it. But, again, you've got a lot of carte blanche on this show. A lot of things I do that people don't like, you really are behind. I, I can't say exactly what. <laughs> All right. We got – I'm going to give my theory 
on Brady, right? And then we got our best bets. Is that fair to say? Yeah, one more point I wanted to bring up also. Oh, go ahead. Uh, just the More about your winning? Well, I think prop betting, and this goes back to your whole – actually, it doesn't go back to your binary stuff. It's returning players that haven't been playing, it's a zero-sum game, baby. So uh, yeah, Let's make this short because this is so obvious. What you're saying is there's only so many passes to go around. If someone's out and then they get – off the injury list or whatever, the passes get split up. Exactly. And Antonio. That's some great insight. Well, and Antonio Brown stealing from my beloved Scotty Miller was a I think theme. He hates Scotty Miller. All year. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I've warmed up to him after he had a bad Super Bowl, but obviously you fleeced me when Antonio Brown came on board and he got like 10 times the volume of catches than Scotty Miller. But what AB came back for the Super Bowl? Miller, he was almost a no show in the Super Bowl, no catches. So we cashed with Miller under. But how much time were you going to spend talking about the great insight that if there's less receivers, they each get more passes thrown at them? You know, it isn't great insight, but it works in this prop betting. I know, but it's obvious, right? Yep. I mean, it's Daily Fantasy 101. Yes. All right. So let's do this. Let's do our best bet now, and then I'll do my theory. And then we got Asler. Do we got anything for the Hitman today? No, I took the week off. All right. Well, I mean, he's probably spending all that money. All right, let's do best bets. Don't know about the future, that's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil, I give you a piece of my mind. FCS football, Saturday, McNeese State, Tarlington State. What? I am going under <laughs> the 54, RJ. So of I took a look at these two teams, McNeese State, Back in 2019, that's the last time they played, they averaged 52. Tarleton State averaged 61.5. The average of those two is just below 57 points. So the, the odds makers, they had to set a total in this game. They opened it at 57. I think there's two good reasons why that number was way too high. Number one, I know that scoring for college football teams in their very first game is typically lower than the season average, lower by about two and a half points. I think the fact that these teams have been off not for eight months, but for 15 months now, their last game was November 2019, is going to hurt the offenses even more. So I think a three-point adjustment would be necessary. Well, that would bring me down to the current total, which is right around 54. But where I don't – another key factor that I don't think is being priced, the weather – it's going to be cold. It's going to be frigid in Texas, 20 degrees at kickoff for this game. So I got one team from Stevensville, Texas, another team from Louisiana playing in 20-degree weather. I have to make a three-point adjustment for those frigid temperatures. That gets me to a total of 51, under 54, best bet. Now, I get you wouldn't play this game if there was a lot of other games because you wouldn't pay any attention to it. But honestly, with your own bankroll, what's your confidence level compared to, let's say, a typical NFL side that you bet? More confidence. Okay. Now, you don't know this, um, this conference. This, you know, so what makes you more? Do you just think the market is less liquid? I think the market's much less liquid, and I think the, root of the, the bookmaking, because the limits are lower, is very— what, What's the limit? Like, if you went down to the Westgate or South Point or Circa, what can you bet? Uh, 500 to 1,000. So, so this is like a WNBA-type game. Exactly. And who's playing? Who is this? Tarlington State. But what, what I'm saying is, what conference is this? It's the FCS. So it's the former Division I AA. Some of these teams chose not to play in the fall, and they 
deferred their oh, season. Oh, so you're saying the, there's a whole season of this? Yes. So you're going to be handicapping this? All year long. There's going to be a final 16 teams in the playoffs. But is there like 10 games? They're, I think they're going to play like – it isn't 10. It's, a, it's an abbreviated schedule. You know about this, McKenzie? I was, before today, I had no idea. It looks like McNeese State's going to play seven Who? games. It's McNeese. McNeese State. I'm sorry. <laughs> what did you say? McNeese. I don't McNezzy, I don't. It's not Yale, but come on, give him respect. <laughs> I tell you this, you're most deadly. You know, it's interesting because you really, you're as good as they come at reading the screen. You're as good as they come at figuring odds quickly, like in game. But you're not a classically great handicapper. But usually that is the skill it would take to go into a new, it's like a guy that's a great poker player. If it's a new game, he's going to learn it quicker. But the guy that knows how to bet, the guy that knows it, like you're the guy that, that maybe isn't the, the very best at the handicapping, but you make up for it with all the other things. But it would seem your skill set would be so not suited to go into a new handicap. But you killed the, what was that, the A? The Alliance of American Football, AAF. And then you killed the, I mean, you, you were undefeated in the XFL, right? Yes, so why, I wonder why that is, because it seems like that the guy that can come in and dominate those are the kind of guy should be a great pure handicap. You, you know, I think comes back to maybe I'm not working hard enough because I can spend. There's only one game this week, so I was able to spend an hour on this game. Yeah. Now, would you have spent? At what point did it feel fruitful? Meaning that that, that you thought there might be a pick here in the hour. You know, I got How much time would you have spent w- before letting go of it if it wasn't if you didn't smell a pick? I, I wasn't even going to pick this game because I I don't know any anything about either one of these schools. I got to be honest. I'm watching like the Weather Channel and I see this like Arctic Canadian blast is engulfing the entire central portion of this of so the at the same country. time you spent an hour on this game. The Weather Channel happened to be on. No, first the Weather Channel came on. Uh, and, and it made you want to go look at the game. Exactly. Because I'm uh, like, wait a minute. This is as cold as it ever gets in Texas. That's where that game is going to be. That one game. Yes, there's only one this week. I got to tell you, Steve, I, that 9-1 perked you up a little bit, I think. Because that was a good handicap. And, and maybe it means specialization, right? Because really what you're saying is time per game. And I'll tell you this. Once you really got a feel for you know this. Once you got a feel for teams, you don't have to spend crazy time. Yes. Right? I mean, so it's hard to get past that tipping point of that deep knowledge. But once you do, you don't have to look up who the, the, the offensive coordinator is, you know. You don't have, and in general, that's why, like Malinsky taught me, you can't, like, skip a season. Even if you aren't going to bet, you got to handicap because if you skip it, you got to make up all that ground again. Yes. Just by, like, as an example, college basketball. There's a team, Iowa State. I don't think they've won a game in the Big 12 all year. Well, they had like three of their best players out for four games. Well, those guys are back now. So I think you could blindly bet Iowa State every game and make money. because if so you. how does that have to do with – we're talking about specialization? Because I've been following Iowa State. Why? Because they are a unique circumstance having had all these players out just about two weeks so ago. So you saw a scenario you thought this is something that could offer some mispricing – you became knowledgeable about it, and now you think there's mispriced. Yes. And 
how many has there been any games that fell into this category yet? Yeah, they've covered their last three games. And you expect guys them to cover. Out. That's right. Okay. How's the market been moving on it? The market is not the market adjusted for the guys coming back, but not by enough. As an example, they were just um, at TCU. But what I'm saying is, did the opener move in your direction, or did the did the odds maker have it right, or did the betters have it right? The betters had it right. The betters the, backed so Iowa betting, State. If you were betting early, you would be getting really juicy numbers. That's right. So, are, and when's their next game? I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So here's my last thought, and then we're going to have a best bet from Asler. And, you know, next week, Fez, if you want, because I got to run, is you can talk about Tampa moving forward because you got that theory too. But um, here's my quick theory. After I dug in to the post game, what seemed to be a reoccurring theme was Kansas City defensively is known for a lot of holding and grabbing and clutching. Now, I, I knew that vaguely, but not to the degree that it was emphasized after. And that all the penalty flags were a problem for him. They got, you know, literally it was like, you know, Shaq against Shaq um, calling offensive, you know, charging when he would barrel into people or whatever. It can change the whole game. I think it did for Kansas City. And it dawned on me, Fez actually's one losing bet was under the number of total uh, penalties. And the rationale being the Super Bowl was usually two penalties less than the regular season average. So that would have went from like 11 to 9 combined. And then additionally, uh, Tampa has been on a great run of not having penalties. So it was like a lot of things pointed to it. And we saw in the conference championship games, both of them, the flags were put into the pocket. Whistles swallowed. And last year's Super Bowl, Whistles swallowed. Kansas City didn't get called on a bunch of uh, holding and grabbing. So now we have three straight highest level games going way under the total of penalties. And now a fourth one. And Fed says it's going to go under. But one of the things I speculated on before the Super Bowl was played was if it was ever a time the NFL wanted a team to win, it was probably Tampa Bay here. Because Tom Brady will be in their marketing, in their hype intros in 50 years, right? Just like Gail Sayers was or what Jim Brown was. It's going to be Brady. Seven is just a big number. It's a big, it's a lucky number. It's a, you know, seven-game series, seven. So no one's going to forget. Eight Super Bowls you might forget. Six you might Seven you're not going to forget. And lo and behold, the referee who was the crew chief – the umpire, however you say it, McKenzie, quantify for us how he his crew calls games. Well, they were the number one crew in the league at throwing flags, 16 flags per game, one more accepted penalty per game. This is in 2020. And this guy has actually had been the head crew chief for five Mahomes games. In those games, he's calling two and a half holding. He had called two and a half offensive holds on the KC team per game that's about two and a half times more than All right, what so they the had average the average holding calls per game is one yeah he called two and a half over the course of five games two and a half per game per game on the chiefs yeah yeah so for what I, I don't think he has a vendetta against the chiefs i think he calls the game in a way that tends to call a lot of penalties and in general that hurts the chiefs 
Now, is it a coincidence? What do you think, Fez? It may not be. And well, I know it may not be. Yeah, I'm asking you is we say that when's the last time you saw a Super Bowl that the flags were flying? I can't recall one. Okay. So years and years. Yeah. Flags didn't fly last Super Bowl. Flags didn't fly in either of the conference championship games this year. Six and seven penalties in each game. Would you agree Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl had a lot of value for the NFL? Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, look at Michael Jordan with yeah. his six so, titles. Yeah. So yeah. my point is the one time the NFL probably has a real vested interest or the biggest vested interest, and lo and behold, the most um, – and we know Kansas City now needs – loose or they want uh, they don't want to go the game called tight they want it to be free for all mm -hmm. which it typically is in the super bowl and lo and behold you got the umpire or crew chief that would be most unlikely to allow kansas city to do their thing interesting how many crew chiefs are there mckenzie let me look up that up. i mean you got to figure there's going to be probably 20 right because 16 playing in in some weeks and there's got to be like weeks off 17 crew chiefs all right so the odds are one in 17 the most penalized one now it was a split crew and all that and we don't have stats on the individual umps or the you know officials but boy 17 to one what do you think mckenzie you're speaking my language, man. This is the stuff that no one wants to talk about that just makes too much sense to ignore. Not saying it happened or it didn't, but the fact that we bring it up is why I love this show. One of the many reasons. Well, listen, I appreciate that. But to me, I just want to tell the truth no matter where it takes me. Yo, homeboy! Welcome to the hood, brother! RJ, let me just go ahead and do this now. Let's talk about Tampa Bay moving right. forward here. Are they overvalued or are they undervalued for the coming year? Now, Brady's going to be 44, as you've uh, busted my balls on. Every year I predicted Brady's fall demise, and it just hasn't happened. All right, maybe he's not quite the Tom Brady was when he was 35, but certainly still an elite quarterback. You know, that's really the only thing we can find that we're going to point towards Tampa Bay regressing. Because if you look at the rest of the team— you know, in a COVID year with a brand-new quarterback, Tampa just got better, and they got much better after their bye week. How good? 8-0 the last eight games, outscoring opponents by over 14 points per game, scoring 30-plus in their last seven games. There's a lot to be optimistic about Tampa Bay actually being undervalued if you look at their body of work over the course of the season versus the last eight games, the last two months. And kind of a wild card here, and I'm going to ask McKenzie about this as well. You know, you see the new additions. You see Leonard Fournette, Gronk, Antonio Brown. They all get touchdowns in the Super Bowl. And what a nice destination, you would think, for some free agents that might want to go ahead and chase another ring or their first ring to come and play with Tom Brady in what arguably will be his, you know, last real chance, I think, to win a Super Bowl. I think Tampa Bay is a very desirable location. Maybe uh, Tampa Bay gets some free agents on the cheap as well because of that. And you add that all up, it looks like Tampa might be undervalued. Your thoughts, McKenzie? I think you're spot on. We see this all the time in the NBA. If I'm David West in my last year as a you know starter-level player, 
Do I want to be a starter on a bad team or a bench player on the Golden State Warriors winning 70 games a year? Adrian Peterson just today, my birthday buddy, by the way, March 21st, Adrian Peterson. He just said today, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm coming back to the NFL, but if I can play for the Bucks, if I can play for Brady, I'll be there next year. I think we're going to see more and more. Tampa Bay down to 8-1 to one to win the title next year. So a big adjustment downwards. I could see it certainly being justified. All right. Well, back next week, Dave Esler has a best bet. And this is on, ooh, this is a nice future ahead. We're going to let Uncle Dave. Now, remember, you can follow him on Twitter, Dave underscore Esler. I actually have an NBA system I'm looking at that involves the Brooklyn Nets. And Fez, you, he liked it when I told him today. I might tweet out one or two plays in the next week or so. Really spot plays. At RJ in Vegas for me. Fez is at Fezzik Sports. F-E-Z-Z-I-K. You know, Mackenzie, I think you've done well enough. Give your Twitter. At Mackin Rivers. Oh, that's horrible. We're going to have to change that. Say, <laughs> spell it. M-A-C-K-E-N-R-I-V-E-R-S. Mackian? Mackin. Oh, so Mackenzie is Mackin. Yeah. But how would they know if it's a C or a K in Mackin? <laughs> you know, you've, you've worked on many uh, individual branding campaigns. I think I need your help on this one. I think so, MZ. All right, here comes <laughs> Uncle Dave. We'll be back next week. Thanks. Okay, well, what I'm not going to do is recap the Super Bowl. We won. We had the box. We won most of our props, yada, yada, yada. That's what we're supposed to do. I'll tell you what I am going to do when the odds come out. I'm going to bet on Brandon Staley. NFL coach of the year next year. First off, he's got a quarterback, obviously. He's got a team with a four-game win streak to end the year, so good momentum. Yeah, I really love the hire. He was a quarterback in college, coached the Rams defense last year, something that people think needs an upgrade in L.A., but maybe not as much as we're led to believe. There were nine teams that allowed more points than the Chargers, two of them in their own division. They got the 13th pick in the draft. They play the NFC East next year, and although I'd love for them to re-sign Hunter Henry, it's not a deal-breaker. Chargers have the seventh most cap space, so I fully expect them to be a playoff team, not unlike the Browns this season and Kevin Stefanski. And obviously the precedents have been set. McVay out of the gate, Nagy out of the gate, Stefanski out of the gate. This year, Brandon Staley out of the gate as my way-too-early NFL Coach of the Year.